Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of this show. It is episode 85 that we're doing uh, this week, and um, we are continuing our post-classic rewind series, I guess you could say. On episode 84, we had the Super Modified Classic winner, Dave Schillick Jr., and we had the Dave London Memorial Super Stock Classic winner, also on the program, and uh, that was Jimmy Steffenhagen, and it was great to uh, speak with both of those gentlemen, and we have uh, another pair of winners from the weekend on this show. We have the SBS winner, Josh Sokolik, we also have uh, Bobby Holmes, who won the 350 Super Modified Classic, and uh, it was really a fun interview with both of them that I had. First time I've had the opportunity to sit down and really talk with either one of them. Um, I've talked with Josh a time or two when I've been to the track, but um, never in any real extended conversation. And I had not had the uh, pleasure of speaking with Bobby at all. Didn't know him, um, but uh, had a great time with both drivers. So looking forward to presenting that to you. We, of course, will also... Uh, talk about uh, what's in the number, uh, the number 85, and uh, we'll talk some Jennerstown um, and uh, just, you know, just have a good show here, hopefully. Um, and as always, I want to thank the sponsors of this show, Jeff West and IPC Indy, Rich Worth and JNS Paving, and uh, of course, uh, Sean Cathcart and the staff of both uh, uh, LaGrouf's Pub and Skip's Fish Fry for being a part of the show. Um, and helping us to keep this thing going. Appreciate that very, very much. And um, I want to start this show. Um, I I struggled all week to try to figure out how to tackle this um, and decided that sometimes... In these situations, less is more. Um, I don't really know the words to to use to express my sadness um, for uh, Jody Dates and the entire uh, Dates Glidden extended family and that encompasses RBI racing and everybody in that group. Um, for those who don't know, Tim Glidden, former racer, car owner, and just a, a great guy to be around and a great guy to know went home to the Lord this week. And I just don't, 
I, I don't know what to say other than, Jody, my heart goes out to you and to all of you, everybody in that group. Um, I will never forget the day that I spent uh, with first Kemp and Faye and, and, uh, and Jody and Tim were both at, at Kemp's, I think, that day. Um, and then we went over to the shop to, to see all the cars and Rich was there and Everybody was there, I think. Uh, gosh, uh, I think uh, Dan Denny, who will come up again later in this show, I think Dan was there for a little bit. Um, and, uh, gosh, uh, met Robbie the Wrench for the first time. Mike Bruce was there. Um, I think Cam- yeah, Cameron Rowe was there. I don't even remember. There, was, there, were, there were a number of people there. Um but we had a great time talking racing, and of course, that was at the very, very beginning of the the dates, uh, the, the the Kemp Restoration Project, and it just meant so much to me to be able to spend that day. And uh, I am so thankful to have met him. And uh, you know, again, there's there's just no words. Um, I'm just so sad, and my my. My deepest prayers and condolences. I'm praying for you guys. Um, you know, I, I don't want to. I, you know, you you always you always think that you have the right words, and there really aren't any right words in this situation, except to just say I'm sorry. And um, you know, sometimes it's it's just enough to go and sit down with somebody and be in the room with them and just not talk. But unfortunately, if I spend the next hour just sitting here not talking, um, y'all are going to be a little, uh, it's going to be awkward. So, because this is, this is a radio show after all. Um, so, I, you know, for me, um, I mean, I read the Bible every day and, and I, Psalm 23 is the first thing that comes to my mind at times like this. Um so I'll just kind of gently lay that out there for anyone who may be able to gain some comfort from it. Um, it's, uh, it's just hard to understand sometimes why things happen the way they do. Um, those of us who follow Jesus and, and believe in God and, and um, you know, we... We know that God's in control. We know that God has a plan for everything, and and um, but that you know, knowing that doesn't make it any easier. Um, and so, I just you know, I just uh, end up coming up empty with uh, anything to to say that could probably make anything better at this point. But I just you know, I want. Uh, I want you to know Jody and, and, and Alec and, and, you know, everybody in the group um, that uh, I'm, I'm thinking about you and praying for you. I love you guys, all you guys. And um, I, uh, I'm here. Uh, and this show, uh, I'm doing this show in, in Tim's honor um, and uh, looking forward to doing the rest of the show. So, um God bless you all. With that, 
we will step aside and take a break. And when we come back, we will kick things off with Josh Sokolik. And uh, we'll hear from Bobby Holmes. And then we'll come back and do our final segment and uh, talk about the number 85 and uh, Jennerstown and anything else that uh, that comes to mind between now and then. So stick around. We're just uh, getting started with this inside groove. And uh, we'll be right back. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we talk about Classic Weekend 2021, Labor Day edition. I guess we'll say Bud Classic Weekend 65 is uh, what we're talking about. We have got uh, the winner of the SBS Classic with us now. That is Josh Sokolik. Josh on the Inside Groove for the very first time. We love that. Um, So, uh, Josh, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on. And just going to start by saying congratulations on... On your SBS Classic win. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, pretty cool experience to be able to go out and win the biggest race of the year. So let's talk about uh, that a little bit. First of all, I want to talk about um, your strategy going in because I've heard mixed things from drivers about, okay, we're running 75 laps. We should save. We shouldn't save. We're not saving, we, you know, whatever. Um how do you? How did you approach this race? You've only done a couple of these, obviously. So, um, how do you approach the classic race from the standpoint of kind of driver management or driver mentality? Um, I'd say this one wasn't wasn't really uh, didn't really manage too much. We went in Friday qualifying, and then the invert got us on the pole. So, no one who was in the race with uh, Bond and Russ Brown starting on the pole the plan was just kind of go out there and just drive hard and try to drive away before they can get to me and get in the traffic and hopefully just keep space all race and in it i mean shoot it uh it definitely looked like you had a fast car and of course um you know mike went by you and ended up winning the race and um you know again people can say what they want but you have to be the first car across the line that's legal and um and you were so uh don't want to disrespect mike or anyone on that team but you know i'm just to make the point that i don't think anyone can um detract or take away from the win uh i know that it must have been slightly anticlimactic because you didn't get to do sort of the traditional 
you know, checkered flag, victory lane, all that kind of thing until after tech. But um, what does it feel like to to uh, to win the the biggest race of the year for your division? It uh, it feels great, but you know, there's obviously the one way you want to win it is out on the track, and yeah, not not in the pits, but um, you know, we we uh, always went by the rules, played by the rules, racing eleven, twelve years now. We've uh, we've never tried to go through and do anything sneaky, so I guess it finally paid off for once, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so I wanted I want to walk you all the way back because we like to get to know the drivers uh, that we have on the show in a bit of a different way and uh, a more detailed way than just uh, how did you run last week. So um, I think a lot of people would be interested to know what was it that first got you excited about racing. Talk about that moment when you kind of said, you know what. I want to drive a race car. You were obviously very young, but uh, what do you remember about uh, all of that? Uh, go way back. Me and my uh, dad used to go down to the Syracuse Quarter Midget track every week and watch the kids run around there. And I was probably around five, six years old, and I've been going to the speed lane since I was four. So I've always been watching the racing, but, you know, going to the quarter midget track, we always went there. And my dad asked me if I wanted to try it, and I was like, no, you know, just like watching. And Really? Then, uh, you initially uh, said no. How old were you when you said no? I think I was around the age probably five or six. Okay. So when did you, what led you, what was the moment when you kind of finally had that V8 head slap and said, wait a minute, I want to drive one of these cars. How old were you? I was, we started around eight racing quarter minutes. We were okay. down at the track again watching the kids and we were sitting in the bleachers and I asked my dad, you think we can get a car and do this? And at the time, or they still do, they do these promotional days and let the kids go out, yeah. drive the cars around and test them. Sure. And my dad was like, yeah, we'll take you down to one of those. I was like, no, let's uh, let's race. So. <laughs> I don't want to test the car. I want to race, Daddy. <laughs> it's Two years ago, I said I didn't, but I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it changed real fast. Yeah, don't ever believe me when I tell you no again, Dad. Just just assume yes. Um, but what was it, though? I mean, it, it was it just that you'd seen enough of them? Was it kind of a fear thing in the beginning for you that led you to say no? Was it a confidence thing? Can you kind of put into perspective how it ended up that two years later you got so excited that you didn't even want to try it first? I'm not sure what it would have been because I always loved watching racing and, you know, loved everything about it. Maybe, yeah, maybe I just, you know, didn't didn't think it was for me at first. And then as soon as I got out there the first time, it was, it was uh, you know, that you know can't go without so yeah <laughs> you figure it out real quick it's funny because i had that with drumming i i've played drums since i was three years old and i was you know i i was able to play to records that were kind of big band records they and, and if you know anything about that music it's a very technical music and i i developed the ability by ear to be able to play to all that stuff but when it came time to getting into the school band i was petrified i wanted nothing to do with it and i never did until I was a senior in high school. And even then, um, when it came to, I had only had, I had been studying with, with a teacher to read music, but I wasn't very good at it. So it was, it was always a confidence thing. But when, 
when I the first time that my my teacher that I was studying with, he was playing in a band. He let me sit in with with the band. Um, and the first time that I did that, I realized I could do that really well. Like the, what I had been playing to on the records, I could play to, I could play, you know, I remembered it and, but it was just a confidence thing. So, you know, for me, I wanted, if I had the drum set around me and could play what I knew I was okay. But when, when you put me in a different situation where maybe it's a concert band and I got to read music and you know, and try to figure it out that way, um, you know, that, that just, I was, I would really lack the confidence to do that very well. Um, and so I wondered if that might've been the case for you, that maybe it was just, um, a self-confidence thing. And once you got out there, you realized, you know, Hey, I can do this and I really enjoy it. Yeah. You know, you never know till you, till you try it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh so, so talk about your quarter midget career a little bit. Did you do a lot of traveling? Cause I know, I mean, I I worked with the club for quite a while, and and I and I still um, know obviously a lot of people that that race quarters, and and uh, I mean you could travel all over the country with those things. How much of the traveling did you do versus just kind of racing local? What was your career like in quarters? We um we didn't do too much traveling until I think you know about halfway through the career. We started off just racing around Syracuse. A few races out at Bolton because they got a little track out there too. Yeah, and, uh, Small County, sure. But um, you didn't do any uh, national traveling though, or anything. We actually did. Oh, talk about that! We, what um, were some of the tracks you went to? In 2016, was our it was our biggest traveling year we did. We um, all the tracks we hit were Syracuse, Fulton, Connecticut, and we actually took a trip out to Pocono and Indianapolis. Oh, nice. And those were, uh, they were the national races, and it was a pretty cool experience. You know, you get to, the national races were the parking lot races, so we got to go race in the parking lot at all the speedways. And Indianapolis, we got to take a lap around the uh, big track with our cars, so it was actually pretty cool. You got, wait a minute, you got to you got to lap the the actual Indy Motor, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the big track with your how how long did that take for you get around one lap in a quarter midget on that track? I want to say it took about uh, ten minutes. Yeah, and there was about I want to say three hundred cars that took that lap. So it was a bit chaos when they uh, pushed us off, but you pretty could, cool to take it all in once you got around the track. You could run like twenty five wide on that track with a quarter midget. <laughs> so oh yeah. I can't even imagine what that must have been like, but gosh, just for you to be able to go out there and, and be on the track, um, you know, that's one of those uh you know, somebody would say, Well, ten minutes, uh that's that's so slow, that's like, but it's like, hey, you got your money's worth, right? You got to really spend some time on the track, even if you only took a lap. That's pretty cool. Um, oh yeah, for sure. But you were racing in parking lots. I never, honestly, I've seen some of that, and and I don't. I just am not a fan of it. It's it just doesn't feel to me like, you know, racing on an actual track. Um, and some of the drivers I've talked to that have graduated up into other divisions have said the same thing. They really don't care for that. Um, what was your impression of the parking lot stuff? And, I mean, I know it's probably kind of twofold because whether or not you enjoyed the racing part of it, if you're at Pocono or you're at Indy, particularly if there's something else going on, like a big race event, they, they, they've they done some, like here in Charlotte, they'll do one 
in Concord at the mall parking lot or whatever while the, the cup cars are here. Um, I mean, I know there's an atmosphere thing, but what was it like for you to actually be racing in a parking lot? Um, it was it was kind of different because we had a higher number of cars and the tracks always rubbered up really quick. So yeah. we we hit Indianapolis first and we not so much struggled there, but we um, we missed both the A mains out just by a few spots. And then, you know, we learned we learned from there and went to Pocono. We were actually really dominant and we got a top three in the one of the Briggs and Stratton classes oh, wow. and ended up finishing fourth nationally in that one. So nice. But it's more of a, like all racing, you know, after you get around the first time, you know, you start learning and start picking it up pretty quick. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I didn't mind them, though. It's just, it's it, to me, it just feels contrived. It doesn't feel like you're in a real racetrack. It feels, it, and, it, and, and it, it's, it's got awful hard to pass on some of those courses from what I've seen in videos. But, um, but it's... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at least it's a way of, uh, you know, having some versatility and, and letting the quarters go to some of these events and be a part of it, um, you know, when there's no sort of actual track facility to do it in. So I, I certainly get that for sure. Um, so you race quarter midgets for how many years? I think it was around eight, I want to say. Okay. Wow. Race for eight years. And then you went straight to SBS. Is that right? Yeah, we took a we took a year off to put together the car that we got, and um, then went right out the next year. So we took a year off, went out the year after that, and started racing. Now tell me the history of the car because I I never really knew, and your dad said that it was one of Eddie Horn's old cars, and Eddie hasn't raced in about sixty two years. So like that car's really old. Talk about um, kind of how you ended up picking that car to, to, to buy to start your career in? So we um, we knew him all through my racing career, and, you know, my dad knew him from a while back, and they were really good friends. And Great guy. He told us, he told us that, uh, you know, when you're ready, if you want to race to the Speedway, when you're ready, i got a car sitting out back here if you guys want it. So we, uh, we went over there and actually went to pick it up, and it was just a chassis with body panels on it sitting in the, sitting in some weeds oh so. man so you we, literally pull a car out of the weeds and uh, resurrected it yeah it actually um it was pretty cool watching it go from us picking it up to dropping an engine in it put you know put it on the ground and it rolling the first time so how much did eddie help you with all of that process he uh he helped a ton he um yeah i think he you know, he went away from the racing a little bit, but when we started uh, racing the small block, I think he, you know, realized how much he misses it and okay. likes to be a part of it. So he is he helping you currently? Is he kind of back as a yes. part of the okay yes, big time? Does he help? Him you? And my dad are the two behind the reason that car goes around so well. So nice. Yeah, he's a great guy. I haven't I haven't seen or talked to him in quite a few years, but uh, I definitely remember him. And and uh, you know, he was he was a good guy and and fun to watch race too. Um, so I didn't, I just didn't realize that, uh, your car was that old. Now, do you only have the one SBS car? Do you only have one car? Yeah, we have the SBS car. And that's, uh, so, that's, cause I know you went from white to black. Yeah. Um, you're talking about this year? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, got in a tangle in the second week and it wadded just about every panel, but three up. So. Okay. Okay. 
Because somebody had said that was a new car, and then I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure. Somebody else said, no, it's the same car. And um, so uh, you're, you're running the same car that you have all along. So, so talk about what that was like for you as a driver to go from a quarter midget to an SBS car because, you know, there are a couple of you that have done that. I mean, Camden did it, um, and I think – now, I guess Anthony ran go-karts, but um, I know there's been at least a couple of you that have that have made that that jump, and it seems like a very, very big jump. How was it for you, and what was it like, and what did you have to kind of unlearn, relearn, all of that? You know, I think, um, I think racing the quarter midgets actually helped a lot because move up into the bait car, um, it wasn't, wasn't really too much of a difference besides, you know, speed. Everything happens a lot slower in the big cars, it seems. That would make sense. It's you know I always liken a switch like that to going from you know driving a Ford Focus down the highway at 100 to driving a Cadillac at 100. You feel like you're going a lot faster in the Focus than you do in the Cadillac. And you know even though you're going the same speed, in your case, I would think you know it would be that that same kind of a mentality. But there's also obviously the spatial adjustment that you got to get used to as far as you know in a quarter midget it's a tiny little car and i think you you know when you get into the 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 small the small block i would imagine you had to really kind of readjust your mind to like how close am i actually to the wall and that kind of thing like just figuring out all of that spatial relations stuff going on between cars and between you and the wall right yeah i mean you know quarter midgets you were never you know really uh on the outside so it was more so just learning more about the big car and the way they race around the racetrack and you know i don't think there was really much of a, a driving difference so that's I think an it was interesting more so just the new uh new way of racing up there yeah uh, and that's interesting i never thought about that specific mind adjustment but you, you're probably now that I think about quarter midget racing, you're right. You really do pass somebody on the outside. It's 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 all about, um, you know, going to the bottom and pass timing in the corner, and and that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and and the outside is tough tough to learn at Oswego. I think it it takes a certain amount of uh, courage uh, to go up to the outside there, and 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 you really it almost feels like you got to kind of set your car up for it if you're going to be successful at it. Um, so you, you going into the the small blocks, what were your goals? What goals did you set for yourself for the first year in the small block when you started? First year was just to go out and you know learn every week and just get better every week and hopefully put together some. You know, with the class we had that first year, it was really strong. Yeah. All, you know, Dalton Doyle, Mike Bond, Russ Brown, Cannon Proud, all, all the guys that have been driving it for quite a while, you know. So they were all um pretty fast. So it was just go out there, you know, get better, learn, learn as much as I could, and put together some good finishes by the end of the year. Camden will appreciate that you put him up there with uh, those other guys uh, in that that sentence there. He'll appreciate that, uh, I'm sure. Um, you know. Uh, so, did do you feel like you met that goal, exceeded that goal your first year? When you look back at it, uh, how was your first year compared to expectations, and uh, how was actually racing the car compared to your expectations? Because it's one thing to go out and practice by yourself. It's another thing when you start dealing with 
as you said, all those great guys wanting to blow your doors off if you're not going fast enough. What would, so what was, how did your season turn out your first year in your mind compared to what you expected? And, and was it, was racing the car, how, how was that also compared to what you expected? Was it the same, different, better, worse? What, what do you, what do you think? Um, the first season, I want to say it went, it went, it, we met our expectations with that because we went out, you know, we got better every week. We had a, we actually had a top three and almost one if it wasn't for, uh, you know, I remember one that. rivet in the tail yeah. section that gave out and dropped the tail down. We lost all our air on the rear end, but, you know, and we definitely met that. But, uh, I think driving the car, it was, I want to say it was better. You know, you would think it would be a lot more chaotic out there with all yeah. the cars, but, it actually seemed, you know, not not too bad, I want to say. So now um, we arrive at this year, and I feel like up until this year, we all, you know, you always, if, if you've been around racing long enough, you see a driver come in who's new, who's a rookie, and some of them, you know, pick it up and, and just have amazing rookie years, and some of them not so much. They're kind of slower learners or whatever. But it seems like there's always that moment when you just sort of look at that driver and go, okay, they got it now. Like, this is – and I feel like this year was really a breakout season for you in so many ways. Um, I mean – what was it about what I know you had the bad wreck, obviously, but it, it from that point forward, it was almost like, you know, OK, you know, this is a driver that's that's obviously a championship contender. And, um, you know, when you, you, you started winning and talk a little bit about what it was like this year, because it was a little bit of a roller coaster with that that early wreck that you had. So kind of a bad not maybe not the start you wanted, but you I mean, from that point forward, it was almost like, you know, you and Danny Kay were pretty much the story of the class for the most part uh, this year. Yeah, we, um, we've been chasing the car, you know, since we got it. The same issue, just trying to get back on the throttle and the back end just kicking out. So we, we were trying everything, and, you know, nothing nothing seemed to help it. So we actually um, did a bunch of fast Fridays this year early. Okay. And uh, still didn't find anything till I want to say about – four four weeks in we we went to a fast ride and just tried something because we've been working on our shocks and springs trying to get it right and uh we made a couple spring adjustments and we actually went out in uh the first session on the fast friday and uh we were on some old tires it was starting to sprinkle we went out and actually turned to 18.9 and came and i told my dad I go, you know it's you know it's handling how it's supposed to and get back on the throttle it's not mishandling off the corner anymore and uh ever since we made that adjustment the car's been a, a rocket ship it's amazing and it's an 18 year old car yeah i built it in 2003 and um ray shortly after that i want to say within the year or two he uh he modified it a little bit but it's a it's quite an old car but i guess it means you know you don't need the newest equipment to go out there and win a couple races so well, I guess not because uh, you were you were competitive every week, and you are competitive every week, and you just won the classic. Oh, by the way, um, so that's I mean it was it was quite a year for you, and and I feel like you know we finally saw the talent that we knew was there. It was just like the package came together, as you said. You finally hit on the setup, 
and then you were able to actually drive the car the way that your skill set allowed you to, and the car was, um, you know, was reacting the way it should have been. So now um, that you've managed to get that taken care of, um, you're moving up to the 350 division for 2022, which is awesome. We love seeing uh, new drivers in that class. Um, I'm a huge fan of that class. Uh, talk about your what what led you guys from your perspective to decide, okay, well, now that we've won the classic and gotten competitive in the SBS class, let's go 350 racing. Yeah, no, um, we knew the class was, there was talks of it when we were about to start racing and, you know, it would have been cool to just go straight into one of those, but it was more of a thing, you know, the small block was more of a thing where we could go out, race, you know, make sure, you know, we like it before we go spend all that money and make sure, ah. you know, I can I can race the car, and uh, we proved that this yeah. year. My dad wanted to go out and at least get a win in the small block class before moving up, and then uh, we went out and had a little breakout year like we had and figured, you know, it would be a good time to move up and get learning that now. So now the question becomes, what happens with the SBS car? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to run it? Are you going to put somebody else in it? What's your plan um, for the SBS car now that you're moving up? Uh, everybody, everybody's been asking me since that because everybody knows we still got it. That uh, you know, if I'm going to run double duty or this or that, but we have no intentions in uh, bringing that car back out. We're gonna. We're ha- we have it right now, but if somebody came along and they wanted to buy it, we'd, we'd definitely sell the car. Okay. So uh, if you're looking to get into SBS racing, uh, there is a classic winning car that is available for the right price. So um, reach out to Josh Sokolik or his father, John, if you know them, or if you need to know how to reach out to them, um, Rich Worth uh, can get you there, or obviously just uh, drop me a note um, on the Inside Groove Facebook uh, page. Don't put it on my wall. Put it, please DM me, uh, but uh, I'll get you in touch because uh, we would definitely like to see that car still racing. Um, you don't want to gain a car in one division by losing it in another, so uh, let's see if we can get somebody in this classic winning SBS car. Meanwhile, let's talk about the 350s. So, Tell us about the 350 that you got. Where did it come from? What's the history of it? Um, and, you know, just uh, give us a little bit of background there. How did you end up with the car you got? I believe it was uh, built in 2007, and um, Otto told me that it was actually one of his old cars, and they sold it oh. to Pat Lavery, and Lavery ran it in 2012, 2013, I think. Okay. And then that turned into the prototype car that was um, had that new style of super modified wing on it that they were testing out. No kidding. Okay. And then that went over to Lacerdo's, ended up with it, and then we just bought it from them this season. Well, okay. So that's that car again. Quite a history, and it's, well, it'll be about 15 years old by the time that you... Uh, get in it in 22, right? If it was uh, built in 07. So um, the very old, uh, very old car, but obviously uh, a very good pedigree. And um, I didn't, I, I knew, obviously I knew Anthony race, but I didn't know what the, the history was of the car he had, but um, that was a beautiful car when he had it, loved the paint scheme on it. And uh, 
you know, he did a nice job with it. So um, good opportunity for you to, to make the move. Um, have you, obviously, I'm sure you've been paying attention to the class. Um, what do you feel like is going to be the challenges that you're going to face uh, as a driver going from the SBS to the 350 now? What do you feel like uh, you're going to have to do as a racer? And, um, you know, what, uh, what you, what's your learning curve, do you think? Um, it's just gonna be the new the new style of driving again. It's gonna be a whole different uh whole different car. It's a lot lighter. It's got the top wing, and you know from the sounds of it, we're not we're not gonna be using much brakes or you know letting off too much. So I feel like in a way this is going to take you back to quarter midgets because that when you're in at least in the lower the beginner quarter midget divisions, I don't think you use much brake either. So, right. So it's, yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, you're going to feel like you're just driving a bigger, faster quarter. That's what, uh, that's what you hear from most of the guys like, uh, Dalton. We're pretty good buddies with him. He, uh, he actually told my father, it's just like, just like driving a quarter midget. It's a big quarter midget. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I feel like, uh, you're going to get in this car and, um, have an even shorter learning curve as far as all that goes because a lot of the the mental programming that you developed in the quarter that made you successful you're going to be able to kind of recall that again and um you know obviously make whatever little adjustments to that programming that are needed to you know to to compensate for the higher speed and um i'm sure probably a lot more downforce and whatever you know with the wing but um in a lot of ways i feel like this is going to be Really a, a a pretty simple adjustment, and I feel like you're probably going to have a blast with it. Um, so what are your goals then for 2022 with the 350? Oh, I think it's just going to be and go out and, you know, again, just put together some solid uh, solid runs. I think I think that we'll start off a lot stronger than we did with the small block because, you know, I got sure. the experience at the Speedway now, and I feel like I'm more more comfortable than I have ever been there, so finally building up some confidence and uh, driving the cars hard. So so tell us a little bit about yourself. What it would, uh, I think you're probably graduated by now, right? I'm sure out of school. What do you, what do you, what is your, do you work, are you in college? Tell us a little bit about where you're at. Uh, right now I'm just working a little part-time job until um, I think I want to go into some trade and take a couple of trade classes at some point here soon. I didn't jump on it after high school, but uh I definitely want to do something with trades, whether it's welding or heavy equipment or machining. That's where the money is. I I actually like uh, hearing you say that because everybody's in such a hurry to do the four-year college thing. And uh, man, I I think I think we ought to be um, getting kids' minds focused a lot more on the trades again because um, you know it, you're you're never going to be. There, there are skills like that that you're never going to be able to be replaced by a robot. So, um, you know, and those those pay well. Uh, the work's not always the most glamorous, but, um, you know, if you enjoy that kind of thing, I think that's a, a great opportunity for you. What do you like to do when you're not racing? Um, you know, mostly mostly just hang out and see if I can be around some racing, you know, <laughs> golf, golf here and there. But, like, uh, last night we were over across the – Across the river at Fulton, watching the uh, qualifying night of uh, Outlaw 200. And I think go. I'll head back down there tonight, watch the features. Is dirt, <laughs> excuse me, is dirt something that you'd uh, 
like to try at some point? I know you've probably never been on dirt. Uh, is that something that would interest you down the road? Um, you know, if you if you asked me that, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd probably say no. But you know, the more and more I watch it, you know, looks like some fun. But I don't think uh, I don't think it could ever take over my, uh, you know, racing at the speedway. So. Well, it doesn't have to replace it, but it, it might be. I mean, you. What I love is we're starting to see a little bit of a trend of that again. When I was going, you know, grew up going to the speedway in the seventies, you know, that was the golden era of drivers doing crossovers. So, you know, Jimmy Champagne and Winks and Siprich and Letcher and Stelter and, gosh, I don't remember who else. Jamie Moore, I think, did a little bit of it. Uh, would would race, you know, a dirt track on a Friday, a swig on a Saturday, and you know, Weed Sport or whatever on a Sunday. Um, and you saw a lot of that that cross-pollination between dirt and asphalt and you know when joe gozik did it a few years ago um i think people were really shocked because it wasn't something that you just ever thought that joe would do um and it wasn't very common at that point and now you know joe's doing it you got now mike bruce is doing it um you know tyler thompson obviously is um you know to surface um, so, you know, could be something that, uh, perhaps at some point down the road, you give a shot and say, you know what, I, I can go and have fun and do this once in a while and then focus on a swiggo. Um, I think it's cool to be able to, to do that stuff, but, uh, I know you have a lot of people that, uh, have helped you to get where you're at. And before we get to that, I want to talk about the other thing that I think really makes your story very cool. And that is that. You don't have a big crew. You don't have a big bunch of sponsors in terms of dollars. It's you and your family. Talk about the at the track. Talk about who does what and who's on your crew. And, and talk about how, you know, that sort of family aspect um, makes it special for you. Yeah. Um, no, we, we usually show up on a casual Saturday night with me and my dad show up, start unloading and you know, get the car ready and get it out for practice. And my uh, mom and sister come in just after practice, and uh, they actually all help out a little bit. My dad does most of the major work on the car, but, you know, I come into the pits. My sister's usually around, and she uh, does tire temps and takes down all the uh, numbers onto a note sheet. And my uh, mom uh, helps out with my gear if I ever need anything or forgetting anything in the car, so. So it really is just a family affair. Who else works on the team at the racetrack besides your family? Um, you know, we we get a little help here and there depending on, you know, what it is. Like we kind of do a couple jams this year where, you know, uh, Greg O'Connor's crew, you know, Tony Pisa and Brian Dana help us out. And uh, my sister's boyfriend, Cole Smith, he, uh, he comes over and makes sure I don't need anything over the course of the day or if we need any help from him, so. But, yeah, mostly my family. Uh, Cole helps out a little bit, and Eddie, when he's in town, he helps out. That's what I love about short track racing, and especially at Oswego. And it seems like um, in the SBS division, there's so much of that, everybody helping each other, and just just love that. Uh, so that's awesome. Okay, so um, you, the floor is open, buddy. Um, thank whoever you want, team, sponsors, uh, whatever. Uh, go for it. Yeah, I just got to thank my family, you know, for supporting me for the past, you know, 11, 12 years of my racing career and all the sponsors, all weather power equipment, 
uh, Lakeland Auto, Logos Custom Embroidery, JNS Paving, and uh, Wadham's Garage. Well, uh, congratulations on the classic win, Josh. Very happy for you. Happy for your success this season. Can't wait to see you uh, get into that 350. That's going to be a lot of fun. I know you're going to be fun to watch that car. Uh, hope that uh, you can get the SBS sold. Uh, obviously, it'll help with uh, the 350 budget, but uh, it'll also get that car back in competition for someone else. So, uh, again, if anybody's looking for an SBS car, uh, Josh Sokolik has a classic winning car that is available. Um, just uh, get in touch with them and uh, work out a deal. And so, Josh, uh, appreciate having you on the show for the first time. Um, I'm sure it won't be the last because I've got a feeling you're going to win some races again next year in the uh, 350 class. So we'll uh, we'll be talking to you, I'm sure, frequently um, over the course of next season. But uh, have a, a great winter. Merry uh, Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, after the holidays. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That is Josh Sokolik. More of The Groove coming up right after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem and no excuses. Because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode 85. Again, uh, carrying on with our post-classic review kind of theme for these shows. Uh, and happy to have our 350 Super Modified Classic winner on the program today. Joining us via the hotline is uh, Bobby Holmes and... Bobby, I got to tell you, first of all, it's great to have you on the program and happy to uh, be able to talk with you for the first time. Um, congratulations on the win. And um, this, for me, is really cool for a couple of reasons. I'm a 70s kid, so you told me before we started this interview that uh, your uncle was uh, Ross Holmes, driver of the Lazy 8 Modifier. I remember Ross and that car very well from back in the day, and I love the generational history that you've got with your granddad and now you carrying on the the family uh, racing heritage, and you won the race uh, in, a, in a car owned by uh, Tom McLeod, and, of course, uh, Ron McLeod uh, was a driver in the 70s in Oswego who was very popular and somebody that I just always enjoyed seeing run. Um, so a lot of history kind of all wrapped up in one of the biggest upsets, I believe, uh, in, in the history of, uh, classic weekend at Oswego. And of course, uh, the three fifties have only been there a couple of times before. And usually Jeffrey battle has his own way with the field, but this year, not, uh, not in the cards for him and you ended up winning. So congratulations on all of that. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, excited to be on the show and uh yeah it was a good uh it was a good weekend uh, uh to be honest it was unexpected but uh when we when we got in the car for practice i knew we had a good piece and something that we could really work work with and uh make better and i think every every time we went on the track we 
we improved in speed. The car felt more comfortable. We'd make changes every time we came off the track from practice. Um, and I believe we improved in speed every single time, except for when it came to qualifying. Um, <laughs> the sun came out, and I just – I don't know if I overdrove it or what, but we went out for a mock run beforehand, and we were 17.002, and I uh, went out for qualifying, we were 17.2, and uh, I come in, I was pretty disappointed uh, myself and just missing it, and uh, that put us tense, but in all honesty, it was probably a blessing because they redrew and uh, they put us on the pole, so uh, that really gave us our shot to, uh, you know, get to the lead and uh, try stretching it out, and um keeping that, that 14 behind us uh, battle. I, I knew he was probably class of the field and uh, just coming through traffic so difficult with those cars and uh, the arrow. It's really seemed, I noticed when I got behind Tyler, uh, I, it was all I could do to keep up with him. And then uh, when you get clean air and in the lead, uh, it was almost uh, almost on cruise control and uh, you could keep him back there. So I learned a lot. I never really drove a car with a wing on it before. Uh, never Never a super modified, you know, TQ midgets and, and asphalt modifieds mainly. And, uh, no, it was a really cool opportunity, and I can't thank Tom enough and the McLeod family. It was a, it was an awesome weekend. And just being at Oswego for Classic Weekend is one thing, and they really do it right. And it was a, it was a uh, pretty cool experience to be there and uh, get to ride around that pace truck with my family and my crew. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, I want to go back for a second uh and talk about a couple of things. First of all, how did it come to pass that you that you got the call to, to drive the car? I know it was because Tom had a family commitment, but how did the two of you get together? What is the history there? What was the kind of the genesis of that opportunity? And then after you talk about that, we'll get to uh, your history in the sport just to kind of let our audience in on that part too. Yeah, no, uh, so I uh, – Growing up, I raced sports and modified back 2002, 2001, um, and uh, I raced against Tom McLeod. Oh, okay. Um, we always had, we always raced hard. We, uh, you know, never really had any mix-ups. We raced hard, and we were always able to keep it clean. And uh, there was just that mutual respect. He's a good guy. He's a good driver, um, and a good person. And uh, Norm, I, I know Norm, the car owner of the 350. Yeah. Uh, through that. And he told me he had purchased the super modified, the 350 super last year, actually. And he was, he, he reached out and said, Hey, if there's any ever a time Tom can't drive the car, you know, he asked if I'd be interested. I said, absolutely. Let me know. Wow. You know? Um, and it just never really came about up until a year later. And, uh, um, he called me a week before, not even a week before and asked if I'd be interested and, um, of course I jumped at the chance. It was a little daunting because the first time in the car would be for classic weekend. Sure. <laughs> but, um, no, it was, uh, it, it just all fell, fell together. And, uh, we've, we've known the family forever. We grew up racing at Lancaster Speedway and, uh, in Western New York. And, uh, it was just that mutual respect. So it was cool. And I guess I should add when I talk about, um, the, sort of generational thing um, that the car was carrying, the number 32, which is the number that Ron raced when he ran for Jim Sewell. That was, I remember Ron, when I first started going in 73, was driving Jimmy's upright car, the old white upright that they had. Um, And so, 
you know, I thought that it was just really cool all the way around. And, and knowing now the connection that you have uh, with the McLeod family, um, it just made all the sense in the world that you get the call. Um, did you enjoy it enough to come back and do it again? Uh, are there any plans? Are you, you know, would you entertain the thought of maybe uh, doing more of that at Oswego? Because, boy, you sure look comfortable, and uh, I think the fans would love to see you running more. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit. Um, it, it all depends on what Tom wants and what Norm wants. And, you know, I mean, if they want me to drive the car, I'd be more than happy to. But and at the end of the day, that's that's Tom's Tom's car, and he sure. he does a good job in it. And I we we've talked about going to and turning laps and getting making some adjustments to get him comfortable in the car. And I, I'm sure, uh, without a doubt, he would go just as well once they get the car comfortable for him. And uh, um, but at the same time if if he doesn't decide he can race every race or if they want me to run one of course i would i i I'd, it was probably so we ran we ran a sportsman race we won roc race weekend on a sportsman there i've run modifieds there um and we've uh, me and my my father have been talking about that it was probably that that 350 super on classic weekend it's probably the one of the one of the biggest races in my career that we've we've won and uh we've we've gone all over. We've been to Florida you know, for speed week, stuff like that. And, uh, it was, uh, it was just the, the history behind it. Uh, it was an honor to, to stand in victory lane there with the wreath around, you know, or a neck. And it was, uh, very cool. So of course I, I wouldn't pass up another opportunity. Um, I'm getting older now, so I'm kind of winding down my racing. Uh, I've been racing a TQ midget and I, I've kind of slowed down with that. And, my son's racing go karts, so he's keeping, oh, keeping wow. me busy. So How old your son we're, uh, I'd really like to focus on running two, three nights a week with my son, go kart tracks around around here. And uh, but if uh, a super ride comes up, I'm not going to turn it down. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, how old is your son now? He's five now. Oh, so okay. He's running a novice class. Just starting. Okay, yeah. So you uh, you you you're just uh, kind of getting him initiated into it that's uh that's pretty neat um and i'm sure that's a blast for you to be able to go racing with him um were you surprised how well that you did in the super with so little time in it were you surprised at the way that turned out uh i just i can't say i'm surprised because every time you get in a car you expect to go out you you, you show up to win um and i was surprised when we went Wednesday for practice and we were, we were, you know, a three, 17, three. And Norm told me like the year before when they were running the classic 17 ones were fast. And I, and, and I could feel, you know, the car had it, we had more speed in the car. It just, we just had to dial it in and get it right. Yeah. And, uh, um, that was where I was surprised to, to show up and be close. You know, I mean, two tenths really isn't close, but, you could feel the car had a lot more in it when I was driving it and we were able to get it comfortable and uh, get down to an O and I think we were running twos and threes throughout the race. Uh, so uh, the biggest surprise was that Wednesday practice and being close and then it was all uh, excitement and uh, we were, I kind of got my hopes up and got knocked back down for qualifying there when, when I qualified. <laughs> um, but again, that turned out to be probably the winning, uh, that's probably what won us the race. Uh, I don't know if we would have been able to pass nine cars coming up through the pack. They're all, you know, they're top-notch drivers, and they 
they've ran these things and they're experienced and to pass those guys would have been pretty difficult. But, uh, but yeah, that was the biggest surprise was probably Wednesday. Well, you, uh, it wasn't as though it was a walk in the park for you during the race because, uh, you and Tyler, uh, really kind of went at it for a good bit there. And he actually passed you once. I think it was around 12, 11 or 12, somewhere in there. And, um, and, and took off for a little bit. Uh, and led a good bit, and then he ended up, you ended up getting back by him, and, um, you know, it just was, uh, I thought that it was, uh, I mean, let's be real here, the race itself was a mess, right? We had all kinds of cautions and red flags, and, um, you know, it was just one of those races that just didn't seem to want to get going um, and with any consistency, but um, but when it was green, the racing was great, and so much happened. I mean, Jeffrey ended up getting damaged, and and uh, you know it took Ryan Locke a while to get you know get up to the front, and and uh, you know Sobis and and some of the other guys. Um, you know, it just seemed like for the most part, you uh, you know, like you said, you kind of had a little easier time of it because you know you were able to to get out front, but. Um, but you and Tyler definitely went at it a while, so it, it, it certainly wasn't an easy win for you. No, yeah, it was, uh, we, those restarts were intense. And, I bet. And uh, it basically was whoever beat, if I beat Tyler on a restart, you know, I, I was going to be tough to pass. If he beat me on a restart, uh, he would have been really tough to pass yeah. as well. So it didn't take long for me to realize that those restarts were going to win the race. And, uh, for sure. we, uh, there was some, some games being played on from myself and him. And, uh, <laughs> for him being, he's, he's a young kid. He's been running these cars. He's he has a lot more experience in these cars than I do. Um, he's a young kid and he doesn't race like a young kid. He races like a veteran. And, uh, I have, uh, I've been running 30 years and I pulled out every trick I, I had in my, uh, in my playbook on those restarts to try getting them. And, uh, I uh, almost almost got it perfect, but he got me on one, and and I realized, you know, I wasn't going to be able to pass him once he got in front of me. So we we couldn't let that happen again, you know. Oh, I yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, when you talk about gamesmanship, I'm sure there was plenty, and that's really what makes it fun, right? Is is trying it, to sort of outwit the other driver, um, you know. But, it, but it's got to be frustrating though to. You know, you get the lead and you go a lap or two and you have a caution. You get the lead, you go a lap or two, you have a caution. You get the lead. It's like it, it's got to wear on you mentally. How do you keep it together when you have, I mean, you were, there were like six or seven restarts there um, in that last, you know, big run of the race. It was like it, it just wouldn't end. Um, how do you mentally kind of keep it together, especially knowing, I mean, like you said, Tyler's young, but. That boy can drive, and he, you know, he's got a um, a, a real sense of craft, uh, you know, and 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 he he doesn't know the meaning of pace yourself. He just runs flat out, um, you know, every lap if you let him. Um, and uh, so it's got to be a real challenge for for a driver in that situation that many times to have to, you know, basically hit the tree right to be able to uh, get out front. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, he's a heck of a driver, and uh, it's just when I got out front, you just got to tell yourself, put your head down, turn some fast, good qualifying lap. Every lap was basically trying to turn a qualifying lap, and uh, 
and just not screw up because yeah. you don't want to overdrive it and and make it easy for them. So it's uh, definitely the stressful. And uh, and you in those cars you don't have a mirror, so you don't know how far ahead or how close they are. You know, so it's uh, you just go as hard as you can every lap and hope that that's enough. And um, on that occasion, it was so. Uh, we, like I said, it was, uh, every, all the pieces just fell into place and it was just one of those weekends that don't come up very often and, uh, couldn't be, couldn't be happier for Norm. He, uh, this meant a lot to him and his entire family and, uh, to see him so happy was probably one of the coolest things about the weekend. Yeah. I mean, I talked a lot on our, uh, uh, on our episode 84, the show before this one about, um, you know, the, the, the family history with um, Dave Schoenk winning for Chris Osetic, his father Tony owned cars there for quite a long time. And, um, you know, and of course, Dave's a second generation. And, and uh, you know, you there again, you know, we talked about at the top of the interview, the McLeods and the connection. And I just think it's I think it's awesome. And there was so much of that. Uh, that happened all at once uh, over this this classic weekend. A lot of that uh, sort of generational thing going on, um, and I thought it was really cool. Uh, you talked about running TQ midgets. How long have you been doing that? And uh, talk a little bit about what those are like to drive compared to. I mean, for you, I guess all you you've got to compare them to is the 350, which I would think there'd almost be more of a comparison between the 350 and the TQ, or more similarity than, you know, what the big block super is now, right? Because they're a lot more sort of aerodynamic and all of that. But, um, you know, what is it like to drive a TQ? How long have you been racing them? Talk about your, your TQ career a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I started TQs when I was 14, I believe. And uh, so 22 years I've been racing TQs, wow. which is crazy to say. Um, I drove for, uh, my first time was for Vinny Cristiano, who's a well-known TQ okay. guy out yep. here. Yep. Um, he, he fields quite a few cars and he's had some good drivers come through and race his cars. Uh, myself, David Wallaber, uh, Chuck Hosfeld, yeah. Andy Jankoliak, a lot of these guys, you know, have raced for Vinny. So to race for Vinny is very cool. And for him to give me my first chance in a TQ was, uh, I owe a lot to him, um, but, yeah, 22 years later, I'm running for Charlie DeRosa right now uh, with the 39 okay. modified, or TQ, and uh, he uh, he runs the NICA series, so um, he's got a lot on his plate, but he provides a, a really fast car, and we've had some good luck the past two years we've run for him. Um, this year wasn't as good as last year. I think we only run – we won two races last year. We won almost all the races we entered, so it was a, it was a pretty good year, one of those years that doesn't really happen. So, uh, they're, I told everybody they're probably more difficult to drive than any other car I've ever driven. Uh, TQ, you, you got a wheel on you, you're, you're never straight. You're always sliding it. It's like you're on a dirt track. And, uh, <laughs> when I found out I was going to run the super, uh, I've raced TQs with Joey Payne and I know he, uh, he knows us. We go well in these cars well. And, uh, we, we discussed it and he laughed and he, he's, he said, hey, you run a TQ, this is just an oversized TQ. You're going to be fine. You're going to go out there. You'll be fast. Don't worry about it. Don't overthink it. And and it was cool to hear that from him. And uh, he really, I mean, it's basically very similar to the drive. You're not sideways like you are on a TQ, but the speed's there. And uh, 
uh, corner entry with the with the super was was the biggest difference. I've never driven into a corner that far and and uh, trusted the car with that wing. It was uh, that was the biggest obstacle to overcome. So, but once we got that, everything kind of slowed down and uh, it it was fine. Well, it uh, I think the TQs are a blast. I mean, I I remember the good old days of the Niagara Falls race weekends during the winter when they used to run the go karts and the TQs up there. Um, I actually got a chance to race a go kart the very last time that that they had that sh- that type of show there, um, which was really an eye opener because that track indoors was ultra fast for a go-kart and um but i i just love watching the tqs race and some of the drivers i mean you i all the guys that you mentioned running for uh for tony those are all drivers i'm familiar with and and uh watched race uh even going back to to Welliver, um was he was young um i think when when they ran there at the falls and um, I think he did some modified racing in the sportsman class or whatever with you, I, I think maybe. Um, but I remember, Dave, I remember all those guys and, and just uh, a lot of history there, too. And a lot of, you know, Canadians, Americans. Uh, I mean, just that class is so much fun. Um, but it seems like over the years they've gotten pretty expensive to run as well, even more so than they were. Although I think, is it true that, you know, you can still win with an older chassis? Oh yeah, there's chassis out there that are 20 years old that yeah. are winning still. Those yeah. Dempster chassis, that's what uh, the Cristiano clan has. Okay. They run the torsion bar Dempster chassis, and and they're still competitive right there with with the front runners. That's um, awesome. They're, it's still an economical class, though. They run harder tires. You don't have to put okay. tires on every okay. week. And uh, engines, I mean, they'll last you as long as you change the oil and keep them. Keep an eye on them. They'll last you, you know, over a season without oh, a refresh cool. and. Uh, I mean, as long as you keep it clean, it's basically fuel entry, and if you want a tire, so it's probably one of the most economical classes. Okay. And it's funny, a lot of these people come and with their kids, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I'm looking to get my kid into the class. Is it a good starter class?" And I tell everybody, "This is not a starter. No. are not a starter class. No. They are race cars, and it's it's not a you know a stepping stone. This if you if you're good in a TQ, you could run anything, you know. So." Yeah, the, the, the key is is the T in front of the Q there is what makes the difference. If you want a starter class, take the T off, and it's Q midgets. That's right. quarter midgets. That's a starter class. TQ midgets Correct. are not a starter class. It is not an overgrown go-kart. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that, – but there's – like I said, there's so much fun to watch. And, um, you know, that's that's just a great – You've got a great history, and I know, obviously, running the sportsman car now. Did you, did you do how much? How much of your career has been sportsman versus TQ? Uh, you talked about running TQs quite a bit lately. Was the sportsman first? So the TQ was first. Ran that a few years. Jumped up to a sportsman. Ran that a few years, and then did some modified racing with Dave DeLang and. Uh, oh. uh, Frank Booker. Um, we ran a few years on the ROC tour. Um, I ran with Ricky Kluth a few times. Okay. Uh, we went to Thompson, Connecticut, with him. Um, we did a lot of. We did a. Lot, we were all over the place. We went to Speed Weeks one year with Delang for uh, that. That's a crazy week, just Ooh. racing every night. That was yeah. that was uh, a pretty cool uh, week, even though I feel like I wrecked every corner of the car. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a, so do a, lot of a week to re- a week to forget. But that was the modified, yes. 
Yeah, that's uh, okay. So you you've uh, you've had a pretty uh, you know pretty diverse career as far as uh, the New York area goes because you've got just about all the major divisions covered. Um, and now that you sat in the 350 Super and got the classic win, that pretty much uh, tops it off, I would think. And so uh, you know, hopefully we see you back a little bit uh, next year at least. And uh, it would be fun to, to have you come back. And, and uh, you, are you, you said you're kind of winding the, the TQ part of it down because of your son. Are you pretty much, I mean, I know you didn't use the R word, but uh, you're just kind of trying to at least look at uh, putting your son in front of your own career at this point, right? Unless maybe the super opportunity happens. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. I, I, I no, honestly, I, I love going watching Luke, my son, run, yeah. and uh, just him absorbing what I'm telling him and then seeing it translate to the track, whether it be setting somebody up, entering a corner to get them low out, stuff like that. For a five-year-old, to, to see a five-year-old get that, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And it I, I, it's satisfying for me that I'm teaching them. Um, again, though, uh, the super, <laughs> I just, it killed me this past weekend. Uh, they had a... SMAC race and uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Barbera called me uh, and asked if I could run the 45 car and I just couldn't get off of work. So uh, that would have been uh, awesome. That would have been a great opportunity and it killed me not to be able to do it, but um, just didn't, just wasn't in the cards. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm retiring because I know I'd be lying if an opportunity <laughs> came up and I took it. <laughs> but I don't know if I could you ever would, officially retire because be I'm the sure first there's going to be opportunities that come along the way where, you know, you just can't say no and you go have some fun. But I'm definitely winding down my racing career a little bit. I'm 36 now. I've been doing it for since I since I was six, so 30 years, and I love it. I love being at the track with my family, and now with my son there, my dad's there, my wife, my mom, sure. like the whole family's there, and watching him run around uh, the go-kart track, and that's what I love, and if we could do that more often and he could get decent, then we'll, we'll, we'll continue it on as long as he likes to and as long as he wants to do it. Well, uh, certainly would would love to see you back uh, if you come back and and uh, run some more shows. I know uh, everybody would love to see you do that after the way that you ran um, on you know Classic Weekend and got that win. Congratulations on that! And I know that you probably got some people you'd like to thank. And you know what? Um, you, you know if you if you end up sharing this, then hopefully some of your other owners or whatever will hear it too. And uh, so, you know, the floor is yours. Take as long as you need. Thank, you know, TQ, whoever, doesn't matter. Just uh, make sure you thank the people that helped you out with all this because, uh, obviously, it takes a lot of people to make a racing career work. It does. Uh, it's, first, I got to thank my mom and dad. They basically, obviously, got me into this and uh, have supported it for all these years and spent a lot of time, a lot of money. It's a big commitment, and I can't thank them enough, my wife and my, my family, for putting up with me going to the track and, being gone and bringing them along and stuff like that. So that for them to support me is a lot of fun. I, that's the best part is being at the track with, with my family. Um, as far as the TQ, Charlie and Diane DeRosa, they, uh, they're great. They're great people. I like just going up there and hanging with them and talking. And, uh, um, I'm sure we'll be doing some more racing just because they're such good people, you know, um, 
the McLeod family, Norm and Tom, for giving me the opportunity to drive the Super. Uh, and uh, um, just everybody that kind of helps out. Innovative Auto came on board along with JJC uh, Graphics and uh, Scott Just, uh, his shock business there. Um, they came on board, and, and it was a one-race sponsor deal for all of them for Oswego, and to get them in victory lane was pretty cool. I uh, can't thank them guys enough as well. So um, just everybody, it's a, it's a team effort, and uh, uh, it, it's just I've met so many people in the past since Oswego just that I've never ran into because we were always the open-wheel modified. We yeah. were never really on the, the Oswego um, super modified scene and just meeting everybody on the super modified scene. They're all very friendly, all very cool. And, uh, um, it's, it's just all around a great, it was a great weekend and it, it hopefully opened some doors and we'll see. So thank you for having me on the show as well. Oh, of course. Uh, always fun to, to have a first timer on and, uh, get to know another member of the racing family, especially someone from New York state, uh, with such a history, as you have uh, with your family and racing in, in that area. Uh, okay, so I'm going to um, try to help my buddy Jody London a little bit here. He's He's got this big sportsman race that uh, he's been trying to do now for a couple of years. And, uh, um, man, I, I feel bad that he, he hasn't been able to, to, to make it happen yet at Oswego. But uh, if they run it next year and an opportunity came up, to get in a sportsman car, would you consider doing that? Oh, absolutely. I consider that. There uh, we go. We had, we had great luck in Oswego with the sportsman and uh, just to support Jody. I mean, the work he put into this up, the recent race that he had, and it was obviously a huge success and uh, uh, with the Jody London Memorial there. And uh, he, uh, he really poured his heart into it and it showed and, uh, if I could support him or anybody in the racing world that puts a show on, I'd love to be there and, and support. You know, we have the help. My cousin Matt also, I forgot to thank him. He he started in racing go-karts as well. So, um, But uh, he would be there. I'm sure he'd be on board to help. And as long as I could get the help, we'd, we'd be more than happy to, to, to go. Well, okay, Jody, you heard it here first. So uh, go find a ride for this uh, 350 Super Modified Classic winner for the Sportsman Race next year. Um, and uh, somehow I think there's probably enough people. You got Barbera already knocking, uh, blowing up your phone. So somehow I think there's probably enough people that uh, will get you back at the Big O in some way, shape, or form in 2022. And we'd be glad to have you. Thanks again for uh taking the time and uh, good luck with uh, your son's racing. I think that's really neat. How does your wife feel about uh, her five-year-old son being on the track? I always, I, I've worked with enough uh, drivers that are coming up through the ranks that I know that uh, it's kind of one thing if the husband raced, it's another thing when it's the son. How does your wife uh, feel about your kid being out there in a go-kart? No, she's all in. She's that's definitely awesome. all in. She's for it. Um, <laughs> she, we met years and years. Years. We've been together a long time, and from day one, she she knew race. We we were a racing family, and she married into that. And uh, she knows I'm working on the cart and going through the throttle and just making sure that go kart's as safe as possible for him. And and she knows that. And Luke loves it, and she sees that he has a passion for it, and she's all she's all in. So I wish they ran quarter midgets over out here something with a cage just something over his head but uh western new york this area is basically all just flat carts and we got to run with their what they offer so uh hopefully hopefully he'll 
they'll move up quick and we'll see. I'm, my goal, I tell everybody, is I just hope he's better than I am. So, <laughs> so we're working. You know, I'm, he's already he's already won his fair share of races. Nice. He, he actually won his first time out on the track at a, oh, at wow. a racetrack in Lime Rock Speedway last year. He was four when he started. So wow. He yeah. uh, he definitely has the passion for it. That's awesome. I've been to Lime Rock a few. I used to go to Lime Rock when I was still up in New York. I used to go there uh, a couple of times. Uh, I think uh, that's where the 600 micro sprints used to race, if I remember right. Um, and, yep, you're right. Yep. yep. Okay. And uh, isn't that the track that has a campground located, like, right across the street from it? I believe so. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think used it to does. run uh, yeah. 600s there as well. And okay. uh, it yeah. was a, more of a club, you know. Yeah. Very cool track, nice track, good for a little big for the go-karts, a little bumpy for the go-karts, but it, uh, they do a good job with the track and get yeah. it right, and I just wish they ran the carts there more, you know. <laughs> yeah, I always. I remember the first time I went there, I'm almost positive that has a campground at Cricks. I remember thinking to myself, um, that would be an ideal place to set up camp for the summer because on Friday nights, I think it was Friday they ran back then, or maybe it was Saturday, I can't remember, but um, – you know, it's like that that one night a week, you could just walk across the street and enjoy some racing. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. All right, Bobby, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And have a uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, look forward to, I, I just have to, I'm going to keep the faith that uh, somehow, somewhere along the way, in some way, shape, or form, somebody's going to talk you into running something at Oswego in 2022 yeah. at least once. So we hope to see you there. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm all in on that as well. So hopefully we'll we'll make that happen and uh, go have another great run. All right. That's uh, Bobby Holmes, and we'll be back with more of Inside Groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego, They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to Inside Groove. This is episode 85. We are in our final segment. Um, and I we always start this segment with uh, what's in the number. And we look at the episode number of the show and we talk about kind of how that number translates across uh, Oswego Speedway and super modified racing history. And you'd think with the 85 number and thinking about when I started going to the races, which wasn't until 73, you'd think that the first driver that comes to mind for me with the, that would be attached to the number 85 would be Dan Denny. But that actually isn't the case. 
Um, it's not very often that this happens, but this is one of the numbers that for me has a significance to a driver that raced before I ever went there. And, and that's Gordy Johncock. Um, and, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is because just, you know, growing up, knowing that Gordy had raced there and seeing him from, you know, my first recollections of the Indy 500 when it used to be broadcast at night on Sunday night as a tape delay, which really was kind of a bummer because sometimes I would know who won before. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of a, it's kind of a bummer, but, but you still look forward to watching it, obviously. Um, but Gordy was the first. And, and I think the other reason is because, you know, he was part of that first group of invaders, right? You had uh, Dave Paul, I think was the guy's name, Art Bennett, uh, Gordy, um, Johnny Benson Sr. Uh, I think John Logan was fairly early in that, but I'm not sure he was one of the very first. Maybe he was. Um, but they, those guys are all from Michigan. Um, people don't realize, I think, especially younger fans, I don't think, I don't think a lot of you know how big the Michigan, Indiana, Ohio area was for supers for years. Uh, very, very fertile ground there. In fact, supers in general were much, much bigger back in the sixties and seventies than, you know, they, they, they kind of died off the more expensive they got and the more technical they got, the more a lot of the areas just died off. Um, once the swiggle banned rear engines, I feel like that was the, cause back up in Washington in the state of Washington, there used to be a bunch of rear engine cars, the Sneva family that, that yes, Tom Sneva, that family ran, um, supers and, and had some of the coolest looking rear engine cars you'll ever see. Um, so I, you know, that was, that must have been a glorious period, the 60s, when that transition happened. That must have been an amazing thing to be a fan, to watch those first few super modifieds come in and just kick everybody's butt. And then Nolan Swift takes the uh, body off as modified and goes and wins. Uh, you know, it's uh, just, you know, in that that first car, too, that was that when Swift took the body off that car, that was... That car then had a shelf life that went beyond, you know, went right into the early 70s, which was really cool for a number of owners and drivers. Uh, and so that that car had, and it actually, it must have been interesting for Nolan because Nolan, of course, you know, they built the thing and raced it as a modified, then turned it into a super, just took the body off and ran it that way, then, then sold it. To, I think it was a Jarrett. Was it Dick Sr.? Maybe for, did he drive it or Dick Jr. drive it? I think. I think. And then I, I want to say Jim Muldoon, maybe for somebody. Maybe it was, maybe he drove for Jarrett's. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just trying to remember, but I think I remember him being in the car a little bit. And then it went to, uh, I think Ron Madison bought it, right? And Ron drove it. And then Ron Graves drove it. And then Joe Paino bought it. And actually rebuilt it as a 70s era super. So it was kind of interesting to see that car go all the way through the the transition to, you know, an updated type of super modified. But obviously, by the time Joe did his magic to it, it didn't look anything like it did when 
Swift took the body off it uh, back in the day. So that had to be a fascinating era. But Gordy is actually my first. That's who I attached the 85 to. Um, and the story I always like to tell about Gordy is um, back in 1982, the back in the day when you would go to a Swiggo on Port City Day, the Port City 150, which was, to me, that was the that was the mini classic. You know how this year we had two classics, one on Memorial, one on Labor? Well, you know, the Port City 150 was always, to me, the, the, the mini classic. What, what the, you know, it was, you had a couple of other double headers through the year where the mods would come in and run with the Supers, but um, the Port City just seemed bigger for some reason. And so that one and the classic were always the two big double headers. Well, that, they would, they would run that on Sunday, so you'd have the Indy 500 running, and then you'd uh, you'd have the the 600 there for you know for NASCAR at Charlotte. Um, neither of those races were televised live back in in those days. I don't think anyway. I don't think Charlotte was yet. I know Indy wasn't, um, and um, it was in '82. I remember sitting in the grandstand. I remember seeing the supers. They were lined up in the pits to come out for their feature. And they held up the feature because the track, when there was nothing going on on track, they would play the Indy 500 broadcast on the radio. And so um, over the PA. So you'd hear the live. And Gordy Johncock and Rick Mears were having their amazing duel to the finish of that one, which Gordy won by you know, a, a bumper or whatever. And um, it was just amazing photo finish. And I remember everybody in the grandstand just kind of erupting in applause. Like everybody was excited for Gordy. That was, you know, he's kind of the hometown, you know, hometown guy, even though, you know, uh, back 10 years, he'd come in from Michigan and kicked all the hometown guys. butts. Uh, he was part of that whole invasion that sort of changed the Swiggo Speedway forever. Right. Um but um, everybody cheered for him. It was that was a fun moment to to be a part of, and so uh, Gordy then Dan Denny and and Dan, I don't remember even when Dan started, but I feel like it was somewhere in, in the mid seventies, um, and I I remember that the first car I remember him in was a it was blue, and I don't know if he built it or bought it, I can't remember what that car I can picture it though it was and I. I want to say it was like light blue, dark blue, or light blue and black. It was like a two-tone color. It was a nice car, nice-looking car. Uh, and then I think he had an eight car. I think he was one of the, the six or seven that, that kept built cars for. And that may have been his last super. I can't remember him in another one after that. Uh, I You know, he changed it around a little bit and just kind of, you know, every year it would look a little different or whatever. I, I And I don't even know. It doesn't seem to me like Dan raced that long. And then he was gone for a good while. And next thing everybody knew, he was building limiteds or small blocks now, SBS. Um, and he still, <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, his record as a builder and what his, his cars have accomplished over the years has been spectacular. You know, so he's had a, a great career with that. Um, and then I I think if I remember right, and this is where, because, I mean, gosh, my it's like my brain takes more frequent naps than it used to. 
but it it I want to say that there was a guy named Fulper from Ohio that had an '85 car too, and I can't remember who he who that who he was, but I remember the name Fulper, and I think he was number '85. I want to say, uh, and then the the only other '85 I remember, he I don't think that I don't think uh, Fulper ran ever ran a full season in a swig. I think he was kind of just you know specials only guy. Um, but then I I remember that when Pat Abold had two cars, they made the backup 85 a couple times. I think Bentley maybe once or twice got in it, and they had Rebel Jackson, I think, one year for a classic maybe. from uh, He was from the West Coast somewhere, California or Washington or Idaho or somewhere out there. Um, and I think that was a West Coast car. I think they had a hider at that at one point. Um, that was another interesting kind of time frame because Davey Hamilton came in with, with a hider car and man, the thing just never worked. I don't know why I'm sure, you know, those who are mechanics and who are aware, like prime Mike Silliman, could it, that'd be fun to have Mike on and talk about why those cars didn't work well. Maybe we'll do that sometime over the winter just to talk about kind of that whole little period. Cause I wondered for a bit if there was, you know, you figure Davey and, 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 you know, he came in kind of, um, you know, on a, he had, he had done won so much out West. Right. And, and so you come in with this big reputation and big, and it just never, uh, it just never ran too well. Um, and I remember Fred Graves having a Belfiore car too. He that was another kind of deal where that car, I want to say also at the time was West Coast or maybe Belfiore. Was he from New England? I guess he was. Um, but Fred, Fred, it was a red number seventy. Um, and again, I don't know where I get these little flashes, and yet I can't remember what I had for lunch last week. But um, just some of that sticks out, and it. You know, again, you had those little attempts, and sometimes things just don't work right. But anyway, so the '85, uh, the last '85 I remember was actually when, when um, Pat would they would renumber the car '85, and then uh, we get got to the more modern. You know, the last decade or so, um, Keith Champagne's first super was '85, I think. Uh, he drove for for Pat and Terry Strong, and 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 ran their car for a year, um, or two was it. I think just a year. And then he and his dad bought a car and ran his 85 for, for, for their period of time that they had that car. And then he went to drive for Chris Osenek and uh, became the 55 and, and the rest is history for him. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, the 85, I don't think is a number that's been used often, but it's had a little bit of fun history. And certainly Gordy Johncock put it on the map early. <laughs> you know, he, he sort of uh, stamped it early at us. We go and, um, just uh, fun stuff. So if I missed any, uh, let me know and uh, drop in the comments. Let's have some fun with it. But uh, those are the ones I remember. And um, Jim Fulper. I think it was Jim Fulper. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, which which is always allowed and encouraged, by the way. <laughs> There's no ego here. I just... That's the whole idea. It's like solving a puzzle. That's why I love doing this stuff. Okay, so uh, that's the that's what's in the number for this week. Again, if if, if I missed any, uh, drop it in the comments and and let's have some fun talking about that. So let's talk a little bit about um, the two classic races for which we had the interviews today. Um, there's not a lot that you can say about the 
350 Classic, other than there were more yellow hankies in that race, more yellow being thrown in that race than there there was in the 1970s era Raiders football game. Um, just an amazing amount of cautions. Couldn't believe it, honestly. And I'm not being insulting. It was just shocking, honestly. That race just couldn't get started. Um, and then, uh, but when it was green, it was great. I mean, the battle between Tyler Thompson and, and Bobby Holmes that went on for a while was a great battle. Uh, but it was just, uh, that was an endurance test. And uh, uh, But boy, what a turnout. I am so excited for the 350 class. And ironically enough, you saw that Josh Sokolik, or you heard earlier that Josh Sokolik, who won the SBS class, has now joined that fraternity. So he's got a 350 car. Again, the SBS car is for sale. Uh, if you want to buy, want to get your, your, get an SBS car and get into that, Division, um, I'm sure uh, Josh and his dad will make you a good deal on a classic winning car. So, um, but uh, that 350 race was certainly a tough one. But that division is going to be just amazing. I, I feel like um, we're 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 gonna we're gonna push 15 cars a week next year. I think, if not more, and um, I I would think that there's probably a a pretty good chance within a couple of years, you'll see 20. Um, and that, that would be amazing. You can get 20 or 25 of those and um, have the big blocks as sort of the, the featured attraction at, you know, a number of big paying shows where you get good fields of those and the SBS field keeps growing. We're, we're going to be in great shape. So uh, the 350 classic was a great race. Good to see uh, Bobby Winnett and the history of the McLeod family at Oswego is is documented, at least on, on this show. And for those of you who have been going for a while, you know, Ron McLeod, uh, when I first started going, Ron was driving for Jim Sewell. And again, here's here's an example. The, the Sewell family has been around super modified racing since, I think, 70, 71. I don't think Jim owned a car before 70. But um, 50 years, 51 years, 52 years, somewhere in there, uh, five decades. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, Dan still builds the cars with the team and, and uh, that 32 car that uh, they currently race, as as have the other cars been, is just an amazing piece of work. Um, almost too pretty to race. But... Uh, my goodness gracious. I mean, I just, I am so, so excited um, about Bobby winning and, and the McLeod family getting a win. Ron McLeod was one of the nicest gentlemen you'd ever meet. He was always nice to me when I would talk to him in the pits, uh, you know, as a kid, getting the autograph on the program like so many of you used to do. Um, and then uh, watching Ronnie in that blue number 81, which was an antique when he bought it. Uh, and... Uh, you know, he just had a good time. He just loved racing. I think he drove for Alba Glocklin a bit. Um, and uh, just had a good time. He just had fun. You know, you'd see Ron, he'd be in Ralph's car, and I think he, he might have driven the four car a time or two, and I think the C15 a little bit. You know, whatever he could get into. I don't know if he was one of the 500 drivers Steve Miller's had over the years, but he might have been. Um, but he, he, just, he just loved racing. Just loved it, and he was. I don't think he got enough credit because he wasn't in 
you know, top cars when, you know, I think he was actually a better driver than he he probably showed most of the time, but he's had a good time. And I'll never forget um, that classic weekend, 76. Yes, I think it was. Yeah. Um, when he gave up his spot in the classic semi to Warren Conium so that Conium could make the, the, the race and, and go on to qualify for the classic. Um, that that was just an incredibly sportsmanlike thing to do. And, you know, not something that every driver would have done. So I think that, that speaks to who Ron McLeod was. And so to see his family and Tom's racing history and all that and, you know, see Bobby jump in that car and go in. That was pretty special. And uh, so uh, cool stuff there in the, the SBS classic. I mean, what can you say? You know, I mean, here's here's the thing. You can't ignore the elephant in the room. It's a shame that uh, Mike got disqualified. Um, that's a that's that's a gut punch to them. They're that team is hard working bunch. Um, obviously his, he's put together quite a record in that race. And, you know, the unfortunate side effect of this is that, you know, you start wondering what about all the other years? I mean, he passed tech, so, you know, you can't, you, you can't leap to the conclusion, but it's tough because when you basically destroy the field, like he did for so many years in that race, I mean, there was it was not like they were battles to the wire. He would half track the field. Um, and he, you know, he basically did it again this year. Um, you know, he, he it, it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a tough one. It's, uh, I mean, he, he, you know, this year wasn't quite as lopsided as, uh, some of them have been, but, um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's, uh, it's a really tough deal for them. Uh, but, you can't, I heard, I've heard and seen people, you know, well, Josh only won because, and my response to that is bull. Josh won because his first legal car crossed finish line. I mean, that's not a, that's just a fact. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just the truth. And um, so you can't take that away anymore than you can take, you know, back in the day, Jeremy Unruh won one of those when I think it was Brownie somebody one of the top guys i think it was brownie got dq'd in post-race tech um again you can't you can't diminish somebody's win if they were the first car that crossed the line that passed tech that's that's why we have rules so i don't like the fact that somebody would diminish josh's win because you know because mike got dq'd um you know, you can appreciate what Mike and the team have done over the years, and you can, um, you know, you, you you don't have to, you know, it's it you, you but you can also be happy for Josh, and and you can also say, okay, whatever the past years have been, Mike won legal this year, so you know, if he was not legal in post race tech, he's not legal, and he gets DQ'd. Those are the rules. So, I just. You know, that bothers me. I hate when a driver in a circumstance like that kind of gets the win insulted by the fans because as if he didn't deserve it. The fact of the matter is that's why we have post-race tech. So, um, 
you know, you can't say that. And I and that I congratulate Josh and I congratulate uh, his team. Um, they did what they had to do, and you know that that team that Mike's had around him for years is a hard working bunch, and they. Um, you know, I mean, it. He's they've they've had more speed than anybody else over the last decade. It's just that simple, and that's it. Um, they've owned the the division for ten years, uh, and um, so you know, whatever else it is, you've got to work hard to get to that point. And you know, so this was what I think a carburetor issue or something. It's like you can't say that it's always been that way. You can't say. You know, but it, it certainly, I think people are always going to question it. And, you know, in all fairness, I'm probably one of those people. Like, it just makes you wonder, you know, what about the other wins? It wasn't like he was, you know, struggling to win those races. It was kind of embarrassing. He embarrassed the field for, for many of those races. And it, and it really, it was, if he was legal, my gosh, that was incredible. You know what I mean? It's like, you just... It, 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 it just does. It calls everything into question. So um, I feel bad in that sense because nobody should should be, you know, have having that happen. Um, you know, and, and Mike is a great guy and he is one hell of a driver. Whatever else any of it is, he is one hell of a driver. It, and um, so, you know, that's uh, uh, congratulations to Josh. And Josh deserves the win as if he was the first car under the checkered flag because he was the first car that uh, was legal in post-race tech. And that's just, you know, <laughs> you can dis- you can dispute the truth if you want, but that doesn't make it not the truth. So um, that's the that's the unfortunate part of that. Um, again, they, that, that's a great team of people. They're a hardworking bunch. They're nice people, some of the nicest people at the track. You know, it just is what it is. Uh, so... You know, that happens. Sometimes people get caught with stuff in the motor that they didn't build. They just get the motor back, drop it in the car. But, you know, it's in your car. So, you know, go fight with the motor guy. But the motor guy is not getting DQ'd. You are. You know, that's just kind of how that works. So, you know, don't don't discredit Josh or his accomplishment because, you know, Mike uh, got disqualified. Josh earned that win by being the first legal car across the line. And that that's universal across the sport. Even NASCAR has now gotten on board. It took them way too long, but um, you know, they finally got on board with, if you're not legal, you're decued. So as simple as that, um, you know, last place points, last place money. And that's just, that's just how it is. So, um, you know, I, I, I give all the credit in the world to Mike and that team for, you know what they've done over the last 10 years and you know um it this year just kind of worked out against them so um you know we'll see what next year brings obviously but uh, congratulations to josh that was um that was also a good race and and just the, the whole weekend really classic weekend was amazing um you know it was so cool to see all the divisions there and uh the number of different uh uh, winners that we had that were obviously new to the track, uh, Bobby Holmes being one, and of course your your four cylinder guys, uh, compact car guys, and um, great to see Jimmy Steffenhagen win, you know, and Dave Schulich Jr. win, uh, you know, all the guys um, that that um, that ended up winning. Uh, the modified race was a great race to the end, 
Um, the midget race winners still trying to track down some of them to see if we can get some of those guys on. Uh, and as we, as we can, if we do, then we'll obviously put them together. With that said, I want to transition to a quasi preview of next week's show. Cause boy, have we got a cool interview lined up for you. Um, as you know, after the classic, Isma ran a show at Jennerstown. Not going to get into a long conversation about car count. There were 11 cars there. No, that's not good. I don't care how you try to put a spin on it. It's not good. However, it appears as though there is a huge groundswell that's happened since then. John Nicotra dropped a bombshell on the Super Modified World a week or so ago with the announcement that uh, he's doing a three-race series at Oswego Top Wings, so, you know, ISMA, MSS, Style Wings. Uh, let's see, 50,000... No, hang on. Um, it's a uh, 15,000... Gosh, I'm trying to do this in my head, and I'll get it out. Uh Okay, so you got a $1,200 to start purse, uh, $5,000 to win, um, and a um, $15,000 point fund. That's what it is at the end of the three races <laughs> um, for the top 10. So that's a pretty sporty deal. Um, that kind of opportunity is incredible. It is co-sanctioned by Isman MSS, and here's the topper after that. Uh, the MSS series, Linda and Dave may announce that they're doing a uh, weekend, multiple race weekend at Berlin that is also co-sanctioned with ISMA. And uh, don't know what the purse is. I hope it's I hope it's big. Um, but they're doing a, a co-sanctioned deal. So there's there's a turning point here, folks. John Nicotra is our guest next week and already done the interview. Just had so much fun with John. Um, very gracious of him to, to to talk about the series and elaborate on kind of what the genesis was and what he wants to see happen with it. And um, the dates are established, June, July, and August, one race each. Um, no conflicts with ISMO or MSS. So everybody's going to be there. Um McKennedy's committed. All these, all the big guys should be there. And there are plans beyond next year for that series if it goes well. So we're going to be talking more with John about that. And John told some amazing stories, too. I had no idea. John's a well-traveled guy in the racing world and talked about India a little bit. And just there's some fascinating stories. You're going to love that interview. I can't wait to bring it to you. Um Congratulations to John and the team, Otto, and, and everybody on the championship. Uh, McKennedy won the race. Um, again, should be a fun, fun year next year with that new series starting. Don't know what the Oswego schedule is going to look like. There's a lot of conversation about it, but that's all it is because none of us know until it comes out what's going to be on it. Um, but we know that three-race series is going to be on it. Pretty sure we're going to have the 10K to win. Pretty sure we're going to have a classic uh, weekend again, of course. Uh, you know, don't know what else for the big blocks at this point, but we'll see. 
Uh, but if it's anything like this year was, it'll be a great year. So really excited about that and excited to bring you the Nicotri interview on next week's show. It's already done. So Super Sunday next week is going to be a cool day. All right. So enjoy, everyone, and uh, have a great week. Thanks again for listening. And, uh, you know, again, we were thinking um, and thinking about praying for Jody Dates and everybody in that that extended family. We will remember Tim Glidden forever um, as a, a true gentleman and someone who just had the same um, addiction we all do. Uh, we, we, he's, he was addicted to a swig of Speedway and Super Modifieds and, and anything that uh, is an offshoot of a Super Modified and, and just a great guy to be around. So um, our best to everyone in that family. Thank you all. Uh, thanks to our sponsors one more time, um, Rich Worth and the staff at JNS Paving, uh, Sean Cathcart and the staff at Skips Fish Fry and Lacrosse Pub, and, of course, Jeff West, his staff at IPC Indy, Indy Performance Composites, um, Go see them all. Thank them all for supporting the, this show and super modified racing of all types and varieties. And uh, we'll talk to you all on episode 86 of the Inside Groove Super Modified podcast next Sunday. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.